Today we're going to start a brand new series in the Gospel according to Mark. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I want us to see what good news Jesus is. I mean, imagine if right now uh, scientists were to find a cure for coronavirus that would kind of deal with all the symptoms. Or imagine if they actually discover the vaccine that would stop us from getting the infection in the first place. What would happen? I mean, it would be momentous news. It, it, would, it would spread like wildfire all over the place because it means that our lives would be changed forever. But actually, Mark wants us to know news that is more significant than that. And I want to convince you of that in this uh, brief session together. So please open your Bibles to uh, Mark's Gospel because in the opening 15 verses, you will see that he actually calls it good news three times. The first thing to say about it is that it's good news about a person. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mark is writing history. Uh, he wrote it around AD 60, and he, um, uh, which would be 30 years um, after the events that took place. So many of the eyewitnesses would be still around to corroborate what he's saying. Uh, Mark, we learn about him in the rest of the New Testament. He was a uh, traveling fellow of uh, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. He was related to Barnabas. And he was very closely linked with Peter, one of the original disciples of Jesus. In his first letter, Peter actually describes him as my son. And so most people think that actually the eyewitness evidence comes from Peter and that Mark is the editor who wrote it down for him and compiled this gospel and put it together. And so it's a real historical event. I mean, no serious historian would doubt uh, that this is real um, documentary evidence that we have to take seriously about the life of Jesus. It's actually going back to the original sources. But who cares about history? I mean, how could knowing about a person in the first century really be more significant than, uh, than the COVID crisis that we're dealing with right now? I mean, why stop watching the TV news channels to open your Bible and listen to this ancient good news? Well, take a look at the second mention of good news in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Um, let's imagine that that COVID uh, announcement comes out, that they find a cure. By the way, they haven't found a cure yet, so I don't want to get your hopes up. But imagine they do find a cure. Uh, you'd be thinking to yourself, is this hoax? Is, is, this, is this fake news? Uh, and how would you know? Well, most people would tune in to um, uh, Hugh Edwards, and they would be basically looking at the 9 o'clock news, and they would have that moment where Hugh would say, well, we're now going across to 10 Downing Street where we have a statement from the Prime Minister. And you know, as Boris Johnson would stand there and let us know that it was the real deal because you can't really get a better source of authority in our nation than the Prime Minister. And where's the source of information about this good news? Well, Mark's told us there in verse 14. It is the good news of God. It's the good news from God. It doesn't come from any higher authority than that, does it? There's no more significant source. 
And so news that comes from God, whether it was communicated 30 years ago or 2,000 years ago, well, it still doesn't diminish its significance or its impact if the ever-living God has spoken it. The God who created the universe, who created you and me. Well, if he's got good news for us to hear, then we should listen to what he has to say. There's good news about his son, the historical Jesus. And the other thing to say about this good news is, is it's not just good news to tickle our ears. Oh, that's interesting. It is news that's designed to transform our lives. Look at the third mention of good news there in verse 15. The time has come, Jesus says. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I mean, this is news that calls us to change It's not written simply to give us facts. It calls for personal transformation. And so I should give you a heads up warning right now that this good news about Jesus from God is there to change our lives. For the Jesus that we read about here is still changing people's lives today. I mean, over the years, uh, that's really one of the most exciting aspects of my job is to get to witness how Jesus is still changing and transforming people's lives today. And I don't know anyone uh, that can compare with Jesus in the transformation that he makes. If you look back at verse uh, 14, after John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. I want us just to focus on that first phrase that Jesus says, the time has come. For us to realize how dramatic that pronouncement is. The first dramatic moment for any parent is that moment when your wife turns to you and declares, I am pregnant. When you hear that, the countdown clock has begun to tick. Something major and life-transforming is on the event horizon. Nine months of waiting and expectation. Then the labor pains kick in and the time has come. The baby arrives and your life is never the same again. Well, when Jesus appeared uh, with this message to the nation of Israel, they were in a time of expectancy. God had promised to act through the messages delivered by his prophets. Mark explains that in verses 2 and 3. 400 years had passed by since the prophecy of Malachi quoted in verse 2, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. God was going to send a messenger who would prepare the way before God arrived. And when God came, he would bring a refining judgment on Israel and deal with their spiritual indifference. 700 years had passed since the prophet of Isaiah uh, quoted in verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And after that messenger, God himself would come and shepherd his people. That's what Isaiah promises. Uh, God would come and bring comfort and restoration to a people who were estranged and exiled because of their sinful choices. God had promised it, it's recorded in Scripture. The email had gone out. The promise of delivery, it's on its way. 
And what would prepare us for it to be delivered would be this messenger who would come, a voice in the wilderness announcing the the greatest of events. God was coming to judge and to save his people. Hundreds of years have gone by. It's a long gestation for a promise to be fulfilled, isn't it? But look at uh, chapter 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Events are finally coming together. John is like that email that says, you're about to get your delivery. Here is the voice crying in the wilderness. Here is a messenger proclaiming a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I mean, there are many different problems in the world today, but Mark is actually pointing us to the greatest problem, which is our sin. I used to pastor a church in, in America, and outside our church building, there used to be this old sign with the words written on it, Jesus is the answer. And on more than one occasion, we had some uh, witty uh, graffiti artist right next to it, but what is the question? And that is the good question, isn't it? That's a good statement. I mean, did Jesus come to bring world peace uh, or a revolution? Did he come to stand up for social justice, uh, for the poor? Why has he come? Well, the messenger sent by God clarifies the central problem, the problem of our sin and our need for forgiveness. Sin separates us from God. I mean, if you take the time to read the first part of our Bibles, the Hebrew Scriptures, then you'll see that it's the sin of the people that caused Israel so many problems over and over again. Their sin separated them from God and brought his judgment upon them. And John came along and did something revolutionary in Israel. He calls on the Jewish hearers to be baptized. Being Jewish was not enough to get right, right with God. People needed the baptism of repentance. They needed to confess their sins, to say that they were turning from their sin to live changed lives that please God. Now what astonished me this week as I looked at this passage again was the massive impact of John the Baptist's ministry. Look at verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. The whole Judean countryside? Everyone from Jerusalem, they went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the River Jordan. A massive response. Uh, There was a, a great spiritual openness to his preaching. It would be amazing to see days like that here in Edinburgh, wouldn't it? And when they came, what did they see? Well, have a look at verse 6. You can see John clothed with camel's hair and wearing a leather belt. I mean, these clothes were a fashion statement in his day as much as they sound like a fashion statement to us. A rather uncomfortable one at that. So, for example, if you wear a a red cape and uh, blue lycra and you've got a big sort of S on your chest, um, you're basically trying to connect yourself with a certain superman. And John the Baptist, by wearing that camel hair coat and that leather belt, he's actually linking himself with a very specific ancient prophet of Israel called Elijah. In 2 Kings chapter 
1, the king of Israel at the time has a very bad day when a servant comes to him with a message from a prophet, the king will soon die. And the king asks his servant, I mean, what kind of man was he that told you these things? And the servant replied, he wore a garment of hair and a belt of leather around his waist. And the king said, it is Elijah the Tishbite, because that's what Elijah wore. So why dress like Elijah? Well, it's another reminder to the people that the time was close to being fulfilled, that God was coming near, the time has come. We've already mentioned Malachi, but in Malachi's prophecy, it says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. It's the last prophecy that we have in the Hebrew Scriptures. And then here comes John, dressed like the Elijah prophet. And he's preaching the characteristic message of the Old Testament prophets, repent of your sins and come back to God. See, something huge was happening. Uh, The fulfillment of, of many hundreds of years of God's promises are coming to fruition. But note in in chapter 1, verse 7, that that John is not the main event. And he's come, really, to make sure that everyone knows he's not the main event. He's pointing to a greater one. And this was his message, if you look at verse 7. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with water the Holy Spirit. It it is an awesome message, especially when you understand that all as God has promised before. There's another prophet called Ezekiel, and he promises that a day will come when God will deal with people's sin at a fundamental heart level. By putting his spirit on people, he would give them a spiritual transplant, transforming hard, rebellious hearts to become obedient to him. And there was John standing in the waters of the river of Jordan, preaching that that day promised so long ago has come. Someone is coming who is so much more powerful than John. I mean, John could simply drench people with water. That's all we can do in that tub over there. But this person will be able to drench them in the Holy Spirit. He will be able to transform uh, their hearts and lives And that that day had nearly come. John preached his message publicly until he got arrested. And we're going to find out what happens later in Mark's gospel uh, about his time in prison. But look at what happens immediately after the arrest of the messenger. Look back at verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, Mark is telling us the most significant news. He's telling us how the most fundamental problems can be solved and dealt with. And he's announcing the one who's going to do it. But before we see Jesus in action, Mark wants his readers to know who we're dealing with. I mean, we've, we've seen some of the Hebrew scriptures 
that they're, that they're there to, to prepare us for Jesus. This historical man is though someone far greater than a mere man. Remember, after Elijah the prophet, we're expecting God to come. And, and after a voice in the wilderness, we're expecting God to come. And this is part of the good news that Mark wants us to understand. When we're dealing with Jesus, we are dealing with God. He is the Son of God. He is the one who brings both judgment and salvation to his people. He is the mighty one who has come to deal with our sin problem. He is the one who can baptize us with God's Holy Spirit and, and, and transform our lives from the inside out. And his writings to tell us this good news that it's Jesus. He's telling us about his identity. Now, I hope you want to come and uh, listen to these other talks about Mark's gospel as we work through it uh, over the coming weeks and months. Perhaps you've got questions. Uh, well, we've arranged on Thursday night for some Zoom online courses that you could participate in. You can meet with others who've also got questions who want to get answers. You can ask or you can just listen in. And so if you're interested, why don't you just email the office? Uh, you'll see a little uh, email address you can use to get in on that course that, will, uh, that is happening on Thursday nights. Or maybe you can't make Thursdays, but you've got questions. Well, let us know. Ask your questions. And we would um, love to kind of uh, arrange to connect with you and to maybe look at the Bible together. Mark writes to tell us about Jesus, but he also writes to tell us about what it means to follow Jesus. And as I close, just think about this. John the Baptist clearly had a unique role in history. But in a sense, he also embodies the essence of what it means to be a Christian disciple. And that is to point people to Jesus. I mean, that's the privilege of every Christian, that we get to do that. It is the particular role of pastors and, and evangelists. However, uh, every year I hear of pastors and ministers giving up on Christian ministry. They can do that for many different reasons. When I was a student, I used to attend a church called St. Helens Bishopsgate in London, and I used to listen to a guy, Dick Lucas, preach. And I'll never forget when Dick pointed this out, that often the reasons that some people give up on Christian ministry is because of the two reasons that are mouthed by John the Baptist here in Mark chapter 1. Verse 7, he says, I am not worthy. I mean, not even Jewish slaves would be made to kind of take people's sandals off. I mean, Israel is a sunny, hot, sweaty country, and there's lots of animals running around, leaving um, things behind on the streets that you don't want to step in, but you're going to step in them. And so actually, it was such a horrible and demeaning task that, uh, that, 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 that not even Jewish slaves were expected to take people's sandals off. And yet John says, I'm not worthy even to stoop down and do that job. Now at times, all of us, I think, can become overwhelmed by a true sense of our unworthiness as we consider our failure and our sin. The second reason that uh, people can be tempted to give up is verse 8. I am powerless. I mean, John knows that all he can do is, is splash water on people. I mean, Christian ministry can often feel weak. We come to people with, with a book and a message. And uh, we baptize them with water. 
But these very points that might hold us back from Christian ministry, actually, if we look at John, we can see they will spur us to keep going. God knows us as we are, and he still calls us into his ministry. And it is a ministry of pointing to Jesus, because here's the point. Jesus is the worthy one. Jesus is the powerful one. He is the one who came to deal with our sin. He is the one who can pour out his Holy Spirit on us and transform our lives.